0: Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced for RMIT University in Melbourne, Australia. I'm Gary Barker. And I'm Leon Gittler. And this is Episode 3 in our series for 2016, and today's date is Friday the 19th of February. Leon, what's on the program for this week?
1: We're talking today to Adam Wadey, talking about his business. Get Qualified Australia, which is a skills recognition program, very important for people looking to move jobs, looking to uh, move ahead. After that, we have a chat with BT economist Chris Caton, and he's going to be talking to us all about the volatile markets. And no, Chris does not believe we're heading for recession, but we're in for some very volatile times, so it'll be good talking to him. So
0: let's listen to uh, Mr Wadey.
1: Adam, uh, tell us about Get Qualified Australia.
2: Get Qualified Australia is a company um, that uh, specialises in skills recognition and converting people's work experience into nationally recognised qualifications um, uh, in a cost-effective way, uh, time-effective. These are uh, basically people that have learned on the job and uh, have not had the opportunity to go and uh, study um, in in TAFE and colleges. Uh, however, they have learned in a practical way um, and they have developed the skills and knowledge through uh, work experience. So it's a recognition of uh, prior learning, uh, a concept that has been introduced by the Australian government. Uh, Believe it or not, in the 1990s or 1993, to be more specific. Um, But it hasn't been marketed to Australians. um, And that's uh, the challenge that we face today at Get Qualified is getting uh, the word out there to say uh, for mainly mature age professionals, um, you can get that qualification based on the work experience that you have developed.
1: So what's the process you use for that?
2: Normally the process once we acquire um, let's say a lead, um, they speak to our contact center and they ask them how many years of experience and make sure they are eligible and able to provide evidence to back up their uh, case um, and evidence related to the units that makes up the qualification. Um, once we confirm that the person is eligible and they are able to provide evidence for every unit, in that qualification chosen, um, they enroll and they are um, allocated a dedicated facilitator and assessor uh, that helps them out or guide them in providing evidence um, to put together a portfolio of evidence that we can um, uh, submit to one of our partner colleges. And then they issue the qualification, um, uh, the process is normally could be completed within Weeks, depending on um, uh, the availability of the applicant. Um, some some uh, qualifications are um, a bit uh, more demanding than others, so the white colour qualifications are pretty straightforward, um, while trades, for example, carpenters and um, painters or uh, builders, they need to provide video evidence of uh, their skills or pictures, etc. So they they might take more than uh, four weeks. On average, we find that it's um, it's about a six weeks on average uh, to complete the process.
1: I mean, so how many how many industries would you cover?
2: Because we are um, a platform that um, invites uh, RTOs to partner with us, we're lucky to have access to between four or four hundred and fifty qualifications right now uh, through forty. RTOs or colleges, um, this takes us throughout 29 different industries. Um, so, I'd say uh, 40 RTOs partnered, uh, 400 qualifications, 29 different industries.
1: Are there any particular industries that uh, are, are much more challenging than others?
2: Uh, definitely, tradies are um, uh, more challenging just because their qualification. Let's say, for example, certificate Uh, a tree in carpentry, there are so many units in it, uh, in comparison to the business services or the management, um, where a diploma in management is about 8 units, while a certificate, uh, let's say uh, 3 or 4 in commercial cookery, might be 30 something units. Um, So once you have um, so many units in a qualification, that means uh, the applicant needs to provide more evidence to tick all the units and uh, to be able to get the full qualification. Um, so we we find that um traders they have a need, um, while white collar they have uh, you know they, they want to polish their CV and uh, profile uh, and get that promotion or pay rise or move from an industry to another industry and um, uh, fast track their career. So. Um, We find um, our uh, we enroll roughly about about five, six hundred people every month. Um, And they they vary between different industries. But uh, what we find that um, 50 percent of them are uh, tradies and the other 50 percent are white collar.
1: And, and of course, as you say, tradies would be uh, much more much more challenging. I mean, so how did you actually get this idea?
2: In 2005, my background is hotels management. Um, and I uh, I've studied hotel management and worked in hotels in Dubai and in Australia. And uh, when I got to my 30s and got married, I thought I want uh, to move from uh, the hospitality industry uh, with a more st- uh, stable hours. Uh, I wanted to stay away from shift work and working weekends. So I have, I've always thought of how do I change my career and move into an industry where I can have a more, uh, more stable um, hours. Uh, My two sisters are teachers. So I've always looked at their lifestyle and I thought, oh, fantastic. They get all the school holidays and breaks uh, throughout the year. So I thought, how do I get into teaching? So I've, um, I've looked at teaching in hotel schools and hospitality colleges Um, And I uh, found out that uh, I need a Certificate for in training and assessment to be able to stand in the classroom and deliver hospitality-related qualification and accredited qualification. So um, I've asked around um, one of the um, uh, colleges that used to put their um, trainees in my hotel. And they told me, you need this qualification. And with all your work experience, uh, you'll be able to take um, a lot of the units based on RPL, And at that stage, I didn't know what's RPL um, and they explained it to me and um, completed my qualification, got my uh, quals and moved into the education industry um, overnight. So I, um, everyone, friends and family started asking me, well, how did you do it overnight, moved from hotels to teaching? So I've explained it and I've told them, OK, I can help you. And um, as I started helping family and friends, uh, word of mouth, between 2005 and 2010, everyone started referring people to me from different colleges, different friends, and um, I became known as uh, the RPL guy. Um, And in 2010, um, I decided, okay, I've always wanted to have a platform, uh, but I couldn't find the service or the product that I can sell. Um, so I've looked at companies with platforms, third-party companies such as you know Expedia, iSelect, Mortgage Choice, all these great companies, and I wanted to create something. But the product I couldn't find a product that has got a demand in the market. So you know, uh, one day I thought, okay, great, I've got the product. I've been I've been I've been dealing with RPL for ages. I just need to put it in a business model and that's where I went and um, looked at partnerships instead of having my own RTO or my own college because I'll have limited number of qualifications if I, if I'm if I am the RTO. Um, but if I invite partners to partner with me, then I'll have a big pool of colleges that will give me access to their scope of qualification. And I carry out um, the acquisition of customers as well as servicing them from point A to point Z, um, especially that uh, recognition of prior learning is, uh, is a highly administrative um, concept. And most colleges are not uh, prepared for it and they don't have the setup for it uh, to take a, an applicant, an RPL applicant, uh, through the process in a smooth uh, or streamlined process. So I decided, okay, I want to be specialized in it and start a company where um, the, the qualifications are, you know, um, a high pool or high number of qualifications provided by partner RTOs. Um, and I will carry the service on behalf of the RTOs. And because I'm from the industry, I know the regulations and the compliance inside out. Um, I'll be able to maintain uh, that compliance aspect that worries most of our partner RTOs. Um, And um, if I give them a portfolio completed, they are the final decision makers. But if I give them a portfolio completed that I know ticks all the boxes, I won't have any issues. And that's where I went and established um, Get Qualified Australia in 2012 um, and kept inviting colleges. Today, we have 400 qualifications and 40 RTOs, but this is honestly, it it should double in the next um, year or two. Um, as there are about 1,500 qualifications under the Australian qualification framework, uh, it would be good to have at least half of them um, on our websites through our partner RTOs.
1: Sounds like a great idea, Adam. And it's been fantastic to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time.
2: You're welcome.
1: Well, it's a great idea, isn't it, Liam? I think it's a terrific idea. Very, very clever for him to set up that business and he's obviously doing really well. And
0: which is probably better than the markets doing around Australia or come to that around the world.
1: Yeah, which is why we have to talk to Chris Caton from BT. Chris Caton, uh, since the beginning of the year, we've had the worst start to the markets in memory. It's usually a very quiet time of year and not this year. What's been happening?
3: Well, what hasn't been happening, it's uh, it is a global thing of course. The um I think the US market officially is off to its worst start ever. And uh, so what's going on? Well, there's a there's a litany of worries about the possibility of global economic recession, about uh, what's going on in the energy sector, uh, and um And about the effect of negative interest rates, which of course is what we have in the Eurozone now and also in Japan, and on what that may mean for the banking sector. Everything's feeding upon itself uh, right now. The um, uh, decline in oil prices um, is... uh, among other things, is pushing the US dollar up. Exactly why that happens isn't clear, but it has happened. Uh, The rise in the US dollar has clearly caused what you'd have to say are recessionary conditions in US manufacturing and, of course, it's the biggest economy in the world, so the rest of the world's worried about that, so there's there's no end of, of things to worry about. The interesting thing is that none of these worries are really new, none of these worries started in 2016, but suddenly markets are concerned.
1: That's right. I mean, they were they were brewing for some time, but uh, so why, at the beginning of the year, why did it kick off at this time of year?
3: I suppose you just, it's, it's sort of like a snowball, really. Um, <laughs> it's coming down a hill, it reaches a certain velocity, and then suddenly uh, it begins to fall faster, um, and um, and and the size of it picks up. Um, when somebody tripped a wire at some stage, um, we've... Um, uh, we've heard various explanations of this. Uh, Glenn, the, the governor, Glenn Stevens, in his testimony, basically thinks it's all overdone. And I happen to agree with that also. The, I, I think what it really comes down to is that is that global stock markets are, uh, are pricing in, uh, of a are trying to price in a global economic recession and uh, to my way of thinking and to the way of thinking of most rational forecasters they have uh, they have they have overestimated the chance of such an an outcome in uh, in, in the coming months
1: well i mean the reality is uh, the us market and uh, to some extent australia were, was overvalued anyway so a correction was coming anyway
3: well, any overvaluation—it's—it's—it's it's, it's difficult to make that call in my—in my view. Um, by uh, by a conventional price earnings ratio, uh, yeah, it's true. The U.S. market was looking a bit full, and of course, the rise in the U.S. dollar—and that's a big part of the story—has cut into earnings growth for the listed companies in the U.S. because they make a lot of their money offshore. Um, while it's true that uh, by a conventional price earnings ratio. measured the uh, share markets around the world were looking a bit expensive it's also true that um, conventional price earnings ratios aren't necessarily going to help you when interest rates are as low as they are and when the return on any other investment, be it a one year term deposit be it property, uh, when the return on any other investment looks so low. If you compare for example the dividend yield that you can get in the share market with a one year term deposit rate, it's very difficult to argue that the, the that share markets aren 't an attractive place to
1: be right now uh, the uh, the worrying part is I mean we had uh, John Fraser the uh, Treasury secretary uh, uh, giving his testimony to the Senate uh, estimates committee this week uh, saying that uh, no one really knows where things are heading Janet Yellen was talking to Congress the other day saying again that uh, they were keeping a watchful eye on market developments but again those statements to me, tell me that there's so much uncertainty out there. No one really knows what's what's ahead. That, that, that's absolutely
3: correct. The uncertainty factor does seem to have picked up when you look at the hard data economy by economy to see is there really a recession coming the answer seems to be no so we've got a we've got a a disconnect if you like between um between financial markets and real economies right now um and and that has added to uncertainty but in what i do in these times is i look at the real economies i think that financial markets right now are overstating the chance of, um, of of a very poor global economic outcome this year, and if that's the case, if they're overstating it, then right now, they, they, right now, there is value there. Now we all know that when markets are as weak as they have been recently, when markets are as negative as they have been recently, you cannot pick the bottom. But to me, there's got to be a bottom, and it's got to be somewhere out there close. And and once markets do hit that bottom, uh, in the current circumstances, unless global economic recession does eventuate, they have to be Good value, right? Right
1: now. Well, it's interesting because we're in the middle of the profit reporting season, and uh, notwithstanding results like Rio Tinto's, uh, most of the results have been really good, really solid profits, and quite some some quite spectacular results, which to me suggests the economy is doing okay. Uh,
3: the the Australian economy, the uh, we we've we've got the same kind of disease that the U.S. economy has got, um, in that uh, the output figures um don't look uh, don't look all that flash but the labor market figures even discounting for uh, difficulties that the ABS is having with the figures at the moment the labor market figures l- uh, look pretty good so i would agree with that underneath it all the australian economy is doing quite well we have weathered a, um, a massive turnaround in mining capital spending, and we've also weathered a massive income loss caused by commodity prices falling rather than rising. And I think that's, um, that's had a big effect of, obviously on earnings in the resource sector, and it's had a big effect also on confidence.
1: But uh, one of the big worries, of course, is the energy sector I mean, just being squeezed by low oil prices, and of course the, the worry is that the banks uh, have uh, a number of loans and bad debts in that area, and that's hammered the up markets.
3: Correct. Uh, but that, that I think is more an overseas story and particularly a, a, apparently a European story than anywhere else. It is true of course that um, Australian banks are exposed to the energy sector but they're not that exposed. So uh, you know the, the, it is true that is a concern but it, to my way of thinking in the domestic case it's not a big concern.
1: Where do you see Where do you see it tracking? Uh, uh, do you see it bottoming this year the market.
3: Bottoming this year. Um, it better bottom this year. The um, uh, my answer to that question is is yes, almost certainly uh, we're not far from the bottom. But as I said, when 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 markets are as negative as they have been, it's impossible to tell how far they're going to fall. But when you look at the fundamentals, unless global economic recession does eventuate, and I very much doubt that, then markets have to be good value right now.
1: Right. So uh, entities like the Royal Bank of Scotland were overstating it when they were telling everyone sell sell sell
3: oh absolutely and I think any rational person at the time looked at that forecast and thought that was the case they you know they, they, they could of course turn out to be right but it, but if they do it'll be a very very low probability event but,
1: but in the meantime everyone is uh, quite anxious about it and uh, how is that affecting behavior in the markets I mean it seems to be self-perpetuating.
3: Uh, that's correct. In these episodes, yes, they do tend to feed upon themselves, and so the negativity breeds more negativity. the The risk in 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 2016, I guess, the risk is that the financial market negativity de- does, in fact. Um, uh, Increased to such an extent that it causes the very event that it's con- that it's uh, that it's concerned about. That is, it causes massive economic weakness,
1: which uh, could lead to quite a severe economic downturn.
3: You can never rule that out of course the, um, our biggest memory of a of a downturn recently is 2008-9 and uh, you know there's no way that it's ever going to be anything like that but yeah that that, that, that to me is the risk financial markets have feared economic weakness they've um, they're, they're running scared to such an extent they cause the very economic weakness that they're scared of
1: which is a worry for investors who are just sitting there waiting to see what's next
3: Yes, but uh, you know, I keep coming back to the fundamentals and I keep coming back to the view that in all likelihood, not 100% certainty, but it, but it, it is likely that right now markets are good value.
1: Indeed, and the problem is now you've got a whole lot of uh, entities wanting to sell their shares and no one wants to take the assets, uh, which means the prices are very low, which means there's a lot of bargains out there.
3: Uh, that's correct, but it comes back, to the, um, comes back to the Buffett rule for getting rich. You've got to
1: be greedy when others are fearful. <laughs> Chris Caton, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure.
0: So what do you think? Chris is pretty, you know, he recognises the problems, but he's a bit upbeat. He says it's not, it's not all bad.
1: He says it's not all bad, and but uh, he doesn't know when it will bottom out.
0: I mean, today, for example, the markets seem to be up. That's right. Monday, they'll be down again. Yo-yo stuff. That's right. Now the news, Leon.
1: Gary, first three years into the Abenomics program and the Japanese economy has contracted to worse than expected 1.4% in the three months end December 31st, and the reading below a revised 1.3% gain in the third quarter. And the biggest contributor to the contraction was weakness in private consumption, which is down 0.8%, and that's come at a time when Prime Minister Shinzo Abe is putting in policies to encourage growth in the world's third largest economy. So everyone is expecting some stimulus from the Japanese government now.
0: Yeah, and on top of that, there's a fair amount of nervousness in the area because of what China's doing on those uh, reclaimed islands.
1: That's right. Now, uh, China's banks granted loans at the fastest pace on record in January, a sign that the government is loosening monetary policy more aggressively to bolster growth in economy growing at its slowest pace since 1990. And bank loans set a monthly record of... Um, 2.5 trillion reminbi which is about uh, 547.9 billion australian dollars and bonds and off balance sheet lending were also at highs but what's important here is it's a sign that the chinese government is turning on the taps
0: yeah it is and of course that raises problems about the load the lending load that the banks are carrying
1: that's right but they're really going full on now and that which is very going to be very interesting to watch now, four oil exporting countries, Russia, Qatar, Venezuela and Saudi Arabia, have agreed to freeze output levels. Uh, that's to stop the oil price crashing. But the deal is contingent on other producers joining in, which is a major sticking point because Iran was absent from the talks and it's determined to raise production.
0: So the thing's a bit of a busted flush, isn't it?
1: That's right. Now, um, to Australia, and uh, Treasurer Scott Morrison gave an address to the National Press Club yesterday. and. He said there'd only be modest tax cuts, there'd be no new spending, he said there'd be cuts in expenditure, and he warned that states can't expect to be rescued from the fiscal cliff. And he said that there is no quick fix to the debt and deficit and it will take several budgets to fix.
0: Long time ahead.
1: That's right. That's very interesting coming from him. The only... Tax cuts, uh, he said, were for people in the earning about eighty thousand, moving into the because of bracket creep. So that's only a small part of the population.
0: Yeah, although he may trim some some of the people earning more than a million.
1: That's right. Negative gearing is shaping up as the next big fit fight in the federal election. Opposition leader Bill Shorten has unveiled a radical blueprint for change. And under Labor's policy, negative gearing will only be available for newly constructed properties from July 2017. It would not affect properties bought before that date. Now, according to costumes from the parliamentary budget office, the changes could save the budget $32.1 billion over 10 years. Meanwhile, the Treasurer Scott Morrison has signalled that the Coalition is set to introduce policies controlling negative gearing, with speculation that this could limit the number of properties that can be geared, or the government can cap annual deductions while still enabling average taxpayers to gear new and existing properties. But, you know, it's problematic because the property industry has launched a campaign to stop the major parties changing negative gearing. And there are signs Malcolm Turnbull might leave negative gearing untouched. Turnbull was coy this week about changing negative gearing. He warned that any change had to add up economically before it was adopted. He was campaigning on Queensland this week and he told reporters that the government would approach negative gearing in the same way it had tackled GST. In other words, this was leaving the door open to the government keeping negative gearing in place untouched, as it had done with the GST, Gary.
0: Yeah, and I think nothing much is going to be done before the election.
1: No, well, of course, meanwhile, Turnbull's attacked opposition leader Bill Shorten's policy of restricting negative gearing to new properties, saying it would distort the housing market, but let's watch that space. Now, um, soft growth and low commodity crises are clouding the outlook for the Australian economy. According to new figures, the Westpac Melbourne Institute leading index fell to 1.24% in January after dropping minus 1% in December as the third consecutive fall in the index, which indicates the likely pace of economic activities through to nine months into the future, which is a bit of a worry. The Reserve Bank of Australia says it's going to be monitoring market turbulence, hinting that further turmoil might sit, cut interest rates below the record low of 2%. And in the minutes of the RBA's federal February meeting, where rates were left at 2%, RBA said while signals from the domestic economy, particularly the job market, remained favourable, it was keeping a wary eye on the impact of market forces, and it said uh, it might be in a position to cut rates.
0: Yeah. I don't know that another, what, 25 basis points is going to do much, really, is it?
1: No. I mean, but the the real issue is not so much the lowness of the rates. The real issue is whether the banks are lending money.
0: And they're a bit nervous about that.
1: That's the key issue. Now, South Australia should take the world's nuclear waste in exchange for billions of dollars in revenue and thousands of jobs according to the state's Nuclear Royal Commission it's not viable for South Australia to host a nuclear power plant or to expand into fuel processing in the foreseeable future but former Governor Kevin Scarce's inquiry has strongly backed South Australia taking nuclear waste a position that's sure to attract fierce opposition from green groups and under the model proposed by the commission an above ground storage site would initially host nuclear waste in casks made of metal or concrete and the waste would then be stored deep underground in purpose-built canisters. The Commission is saying a storage and disposal facility with a capacity of 138,000 tonnes, or about 13% of the world's projected used fuel inventory, would generate more than $257 billion in revenue over its 120-year lifespan, and total costs would reach uh, $145 billion. That includes construction of a port facility, airport and freight rail line. South Australia needs the money.
0: Yeah, well, South Australia does need the money, but $257 billion over 120 years isn't exactly a fortune.
1: No, and I'm not quite sure whether the government's going to go with it. And uh, the government has not indicated uh, at this stage that it will go with it, and it does require state and national support. It requires bi- bilateral support.
0: Yeah, and it's very contentious, you know, just nervousness about it.
1: And. This week we had a landmark 15-year national infrastructure plan and it urged the Turnbull government to replace vehicle and fuel taxes with road user charges within 10 years. And infrastructure's long-awaited plan wants incentives to draw migrants to the smaller capital cities like Adelaide, Hobart and Darwin to balance out most of the growth that's coming from Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Perth. And the plan also identifies two national high-priority projects, the widening of the Tullamarine Freeway Road link to Melbourne Airport and Perth Freight Link Project and in a list of high-priority initiatives. And it also includes projects like the Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane Metro Rail Links, Sydney's West connect Stage 3 and M4 freeway upgrades, new links between Melbourne's Eastern and Tullamarine freeways and the CBD and northern suburbs, the Inland Rail Freight Route from Melbourne to Brisbane as part of a National Freight and Supply strain strategy, strategy. And other projects are a corridor for high-speed East Coast Rail and a rail link to Sydney's proposed second airport. And it's also proposing privatisations of National Broadband network. State energy companies in Queensland, Western Australia, and New South Wales, and it also calls for a national freight plan to help Australia deal with rapid population growth and Asian trade.
0: One of the uh, wild cards in that is the uh, valuation on the NBN is about twenty-six billion. That's right, That's and it's going to cost sixty.
1: That's right. So uh, how do you privatise that? And uh, but they're saying, but they're saying you're going to have to.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Get a, get the government out from under, but it's going to lose money.
1: And with the profit reporting season in full swing, it's time to look at the company reports. There's been some big reports, Gary. National Australia Bank's earnings for three months through December were up 8% to $1.7 billion. Pacific Brands, the owner of Sheridan Bedlin and Burley and Bonds Underwear, has posted a profit of $24.3 million following the loss of $108.7 million the previous corresponding period. Mining consumable manufacturers Bradkin reported a loss of $168.1 million for the six months through December. Diversified financial services firm Challenger reported a net profit of $234.3 million for the six months through December which is up 80% on the previous result. InvoCare's net Profit crept up 0.6% to 54.8 million in the year to December 31st. Net profit for Monodelphus fell 37.9% to 37.6%, 37.6 million in the six months to December 31st. Star Entertainment's net profit fell 38% to 60.3 million for the six months through December. Blood Products Giant CSL posted a 3.8% jump in its first half net profit to 7.718.8 million US, which is about 1 billion Aussie. Rail freight operator Horizon reported a statutory net loss of $108 million in six months to December 31st, compared with a profit of $308 million in the previous corresponding period, and the loss was the result of $426 million of asset impairment. Packaging group Amcor's profit flipped, um, slipped uh, 4.9% to $305.5 million for the six months through December. Amcor said the strong greenback had wiped out $37 million off the bottom line, but on a constant currency basis, net profit was actually up 6.6% to US $342.6 million. Newcrest profit plunged fifty five per cent to eighty one million u s in the six months of december thirty first and the mining company blamed it on lower gold and copper prices bendigo and adelaide bank increased its cash earnings two point seven per cent to two hundred twenty three point seven million over six months through december broad spectrums Tripled its first half net profit to $25.1 million, up from $8.4 million a year before, with money coming in from operating detention centres in Nauru Manus Island. At the same time, Broad Spectrum announced it would buy back about 10% of its shares on market over the next 12 months, starting on March the 8th, to fight off the takeover bid from Ferrovial. Andrew Forrest Agricultural Business, Harvey Industries Group, which owns the largest beef processor in Western Australia, reported a $3.1 million profit for the full year. ANZ posted an annual cash profit of $1.85 billion for the three months through December, which is up 4%. Energy Zion Woodside's petroleum full year profit slumped 26 million US, which is down from last year's US $2.4 billion net profit. And that follows one point two billion dollars worth of write downs due to the crash in oil prices. Steelmaker and Arium posted a net loss of two hundred thirty five point eight million for the six months through December, following one hundred forty two million of impairment charges. And they're talking about closing the Wyala plant, Gary. Yeah, they are, and, and it's asking for some money. And uh, well, they owe about well, they've got a market capitalization of about one hundred thirty eight million, and they've got two billion dollars of debt, and they're losing five hundred million a year, which is a bit of a problem. Now, Seven West Media reported a net profit of one hundred thirty five point two. Million for the six months through December, which is a big turnaround from the previous corresponding loss of one, nearly one billion. Primary healthcare's net profit rose 28.5 percent to 68.6 million. Property developer Lenslease posted 12 percent higher profit after tax of 3,353.8 million in the six months of December. Coca Cola Amatil posted a net profit of 393.4 million, which is up 45 percent, which is quite impressive. In the six months of December 31st, the Reject Shops net profit grew 43 percent. To eighteen point three million. Entertainment, the firm and theme parks operator Ardent Leisure posted a net profit of twenty two point seven million for the six months through December, was up twenty point four percent. The A Two Milk Company's net profit saw New Zealand ten point one million in the six months to December thirty first, compared with New Zealand one hundred twenty five thousand on the previous corresponding period, which is up massively. Domino's Pizza Enterprises' net profit rose forty eight point eight percent to 43.3 million in the six months to January thirty first. January the 3rd. Shopping Complex Outfit Vicinity Centres logged a net profit of $424.6 million for the six months through December which is up 2.9%. Insurance Australia's group net profit slumped 20% to $466 million for the six months through December. Profit for Dexas Property Group rose 209% to $797.5 million. Diversified Minor Independence Group posted a net loss of $78 million for the six months through December which is well down the previous Corporate profit of $49.5 million. And owner-operator manager of retirement communities avio's net profit jumped 121 percent in the six months of december to 66.5 million
0: it's a mixed bag, isn't it? It's
1: a mixed bag, and uh, the profits are a very mixed bag, too.
0: Yeah, indeed, they are. Some have done wonderfully well. Domino's, for example.
1: Domino's has done brilliantly.
0: Brilliantly. And uh, Coca-Cola Amatil.
1: Coca-Cola is up 45%. That's magnificent. Yeah,
0: well, their new uh, CEO, Alison Alice, Watkins, has done a terrific job.
1: Absolutely. And that's it for this week. Oh, and next week, we've got a terrific interview with uh, team leader Scott Brennan, Gary. And we'll have another shot with a good economist. In the meantime, you can tune into us on Twitter at TalkingBizBRZZ or on Facebook. Stay safe and we'll talk to you next week.